The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Jim Warfare at tntradio.live. That's my email address. Thank you, as always, to everybody who sends me a mail. Uh, Jump into the live chat. Say hi also. And if you are watching via one of the video feeds, X, Rumble, YouTube, I think. uh, I actually, actually, I don't know where all the feeds are, but jump onto TNT's website, have a look. You can watch us. I think also after the fact, it's, it's pretty amazing actually how the station has progressed, video and audio. I'm also amazed at how YouTube doesn't seem to have flagged TNT. Uh, that's that's very interesting to me because by now, with all the conversations going on, something should have triggered those algorithms. Nevertheless, we are still pushing on and uh, myself, Alex, and I absolutely have no idea who's behind you. Alex is a Joel, I can't see. Is it Joel? Yeah. All right. On behalf of Joel, Alex, and myself, we shall be with you for the next hour, being joined momentarily by Patrick Henningsen. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day, and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. One of the best analysts out there, journalists, I don't know what the right term, I, I really hate the word journalist, I hope it isn't an insult, but Patrick Anningson, thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, don't, no, no insult taken. It, it is a damaged uh, a job title, though. It's been uh, dragged through the mud by a lot of um, very famous people that claim to be journalists, some of which are uh, high-profile British talk TV presenters. Uh, yeah, and just to name a few, um, journalism gets a bad name. Do you think it's a term that should be reclaimed or kind of just let it go? No, I just think keep using it, uh, you know, keep using it. You listen, if what you're doing has integrity and you're sticking uh, to the facts, you're pursuing the truth, uh, you're not being deterred by all the screaming uh, hysterical mob uh, and all the hit pieces and attacks from the mainstream corporate and state journalistic bodies mm. and people and it just keep going you know put the put the flaps down like uh, clint eastwood in the in the film gauntlet and just go for it you know you just got to take the hits come out the other end people will recognize that i work with journalists on a daily basis some of which uh, don't get paid at all um much like myself uh, for over a decade but um they're on the ground in places like the palestine for instance and they're doing amazing work um, they're journalists. They're absolutely journalists, and um, the citizen, real citizen journalists, working in war zones. So, listen, you know, these are the people we need to um, look mm-hmm. at to hold up the standard for the next generation. Yeah, I like what you said there about looking for the truth. Uh, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I've come to realize, uh, thanks to the COVID era, Patrick, is that the ideological pigeonholes, like left, right liberal conservative mean almost nothing these days because something can be true or it can be false irrespective of whether you are left-leaning or right-leaning ideologically even if those terms mean something and i don't think they mean all that much anymore yeah yeah i think the it's interesting you go from one crisis to the next and you can see uh people who uh seem to be pro free speech pro liberty 
pro-freedom. And then the next crisis comes and they're, they're like, ah, oh, I've been snagged on that issue. I can't really be pro-free speech now. Uh, going to make an exception here. And uh, we're going to shut down that speech. And I wanted to shut down those protests uh, because, well, I'm, yeah, I'm all for freedom, but not that much freedom. Not when it comes to my pet issue. So mm -hmm. you guys are all sort of public enemy now. And uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm still very cool. Uh, I'm a libertarian, but not for this issue. That's just <laughs> that's putting politics ahead of principles. <laughs> what we need in society, what we need in the world is to start putting principles ahead of politics without fear or favor and that's what yeah. needs to happen yeah yeah i had a conversation with a so-called libertarian uh something which i classified myself as for many years and i've come to realize the absurdity of these labels because what happens is that you is that you try and figure out do you check off all the boxes of these labels and and then do you make your decision, you know, your worldview, which is so ridiculous because I've, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you are traditionally, shall we say, I don't know, conservative, right? You're supposed to be a Christian Zionist. You must side with Israel and don't ask questions. And so suddenly I'm taking all these bullets because I'm criticizing the Israeli government. Oh, but Jim, I thought you were supposedly right wing. Why are you such a commie? <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Haven't you found? Yeah, that's that's a funny one. Uh, I, last time I checked, when I'm reading about uh, conservative, the conservative movement in America, for instance, and paleoconservatism and things like that, there's nothing about supporting overseas wars, overseas colonialism. It's not. It's actually the opposite. It's non-interventionism. There's a very strong anti-war uh, vein that runs through that in American history. But today, that doesn't necessarily apply to yeah. the main. It's become there's certain issues that have been tacked on as partisan issues. And so people who identify as conservative or identify as right wing or those who identify, who, who put that identification on others, they expect that you're going to follow along this certain slate. And that's not the case. So, you know, I, I and I said from the beginning, take this uh, situation in Gaza, for instance, from the very beginning, I saw when I saw the protests coming out, I said, I'll, I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with all of those people on the street, even the ones who are flying the rainbow flags, I really don't care because when I'm not, I'm not there for the rainbow. I'm there for the Palestinian people. I'm there for humanity. I'm pro human rights. I'm anti genocide. I'm pro freedom for these people to have some degree of uh, uh, integrity and self respect and be able to live a normal life. I'm all for those things because those are the things that American values are supposedly founded on. I'm for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I believe that's what we need to export uh, to the world uh, is equal rights under the law for everybody. Um, so that's what I'm pro and nothing in there really, uh, it, it coalesces at all with bombing people, mm -hmm. uh, with starting wars overseas, uh, with projecting American power into places in the world where America doesn't have any natural geopolitical foothold other than we've got some bases about a thousand miles away with some aircraft carriers and we'll bomb you uh, if you sort of somehow piss us off or go against uh, whatever our decrees are. That's not uh, conservatism. That's not uh, American. I hate being called, I, I can't stand being called right wing because I'm more of a, cent I'm definitely more of a centrist. But depending on what issue, some people would think I'm far right. 
Like, for instance, if I say Donald Trump is probably the best candidate in the next election, <laughs> you're far right. You're, you're Hitler. You know, I'm a fascist. Like, I'm I'm a total anti-fascist. But they say, oh, you support Bashar al-Assad. He's a fascist. I'm saying, no, no, it's the uh, 26 countries that destroyed Syria. That's international fascism. Mm. That's fascism. That's not the Syrian people withstanding a siege for 10 years. Uh, listen, you know, but um, the, the other thing is, I, I want to preface this, Jeremy, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you, which is that um, I, I can advocate for government in my country or a place where I'm living, uh, where I'm working, um, but I cannot dictate what other countries are going to do to form their own governments and what governments they should have. That is really up to the people. If governments decide yeah. to aid those countries and they ally with those governments, then that's out of my hands. So I'm very much unusual in that sense, like a lot of Americans who believe it, that they need to intervene to determine what government should be in power and they'll do whatever it takes militarily or politically sanctions to make sure they get that result. So that's, to me, that's the business of people in Iran. That's the business of the Russians. That's the business of the uh, Yemenis and that's the business of the Israelis and the Turks and whoever, that's their business, mm. not my business or my country's business. It shouldn't be anyway to determine what form of government. What I what I need to be consistent with is what are my values as an American or as a if I'm living in a European country, what are the things about my society that are worth exporting or worth uh, uh, sending and telling people this is a good uh, way to, to go about governing or to run your economy and then you can lobby. You can say, "Look at this. Yeah. You should adopt this." Okay. In America, they're they're equal rights. Equal rights. We have a written constitution. So when I'm looking at the Israeli-Palestinian issue, I'm thinking to myself, "Why why wouldn't I want the same for Palestinians that I have?" Because I have a bill of rights. I have equal rights under the law. We have protections. Uh, minorities, ethnicities, religions. Nobody is treated differently under the law under the law in America. So politically in the past, maybe they have been a pre-civil rights movement and so forth. Um, are there inequities in the system? There may be, but the system's not perfect. Uh, South Africa is a good example, far from perfect, post-apartheid. Mm. But, mm, but it's it's moving in a direction that, that the people and broadly humanity realizes that that's the right direction. How you get there, though, that's all politics, basically. And that's the messy business. Mm. When I uh, became a, cart a professional cartoonist back in 2007, more or less, my editor, one of my first editors ever, he said to me, look, he has some advice for what it's worth. He said, basically take the side of the underdog. And I've never forgotten that. And if you look at what's going on now in Gaza, it's very obvious who the underdogs are. Uh, and um, and by, by saying, well, I don't think it's a good idea, Patrick, that you know, a Palestinian mother holding a baby deserves a missile simply because she's in Gaza. Uh, by saying that, suddenly I hate Jews and I want Israel wiped off the map. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was immediately you get uh, charged with anti-Semitism or this is right from October 7th. You know, I, I've been following this issue. I've been involved in this issue pretty, pretty deeply for 25 years. So when this happened, I wasn't surprised that it happened. I was surprised it happened in the way it did, uh, that 
there was that sort of offensive prison break uh, by the Palestinian uh, resistance factions uh, under the Hamas umbrella, you could say. I was I was surprised that it happened in the way it did in such dramatic fashion. That shocked me and everybody. But I wasn't surprised that it actually did happen because to me, that clock is just a ticking. And it was only a question of time before we see a scene like this. But what did really surprise me was the was the reaction uh, by Israel. But even then, I was more surprised by how many people stood back and did not condemn that and were making becoming apologists for you know literally the industrial scale murder of civilians on a on a level that we haven't seen in the modern era in a short space of time. Uh, almost like a uh, mechanical operation, uh, you know, destroying 50,000 plus homes. I, I think I'm underestimating there, uh, 70,000, maybe 100,000 homes, who knows, uh, and how many people died under the rubble, children, upwards of 30,000 so far. And then looking at that and saying, how is calling for a ceasefire controversial at that point? Or even, <laughs> two, even yes. a week in? <laughs> You know what's going to happen because I saw, we all saw Operation Protective Edge, cast lead, 2014, 2012, 2008. We knew what was going to happen. But if you amped it up with a, a narrative around October 7th that justified uh, a disproportionate response, which is exactly what happened. And people are standing back saying, oh, I don't know about a ceasefire. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's supposed to be the peace candidate who's supposed to be the, the anti-war candidate, was was silent on this, supporting Israel, saying, no, no, I'm not going to call for a ceasefire. It's not a, pro, it's not a good time for a ceasefire. Well, how, how, many dead, uh, how many dead children, women, and young men, and innocent civilians, how many lives need to be ruined before you're ready to call for a ceasefire? I mean, what on earth is wrong with these people? What has happened? Mm -hmm. What is the spell that has been cast on previously rational people to the point where they, they've lost their humanity to a degree where um, it's controversial or they, they're afraid of being called anti-Semitic for calling for a ceasefire. I mean, how ridiculous is this situation? This is like politics mm -hmm. that has metastasized out of control and lobbying mm -hmm. and influence peddling and intimidation. Uh, and I, I, sp I was very outspoken when Jeremy Corbyn was bounced from the Labor Party uh, under totally bogus charges of anti-Semitism and in his party as well. Ridiculous, but you could see that was the power of the lobby uh, yeah. of this country, Israel, but not just Israel, but their partners within politics in Britain, in France, in South Africa, in America, in Canada. Mm. This is a network and this network has common interests. Their common interests are, uh, one is the, is the wartime economy, uh, which they all thrive on. Also, deficit spending, which they're all doing, and instability in the Middle East, which they all support. So this, to me, Israel is uh, really just a kind of a very large tool of uh, Western imperialism that's been used. And Israel uses the West for their cash, uh, for the, whatever their uh, internal uh, political mm -hmm. or uh, religious doctrine goals are or whatever. It's probably a mix of different things feeding into this. But the end result is somebody is getting the short end of the stick. And it happens to be the native Palestinian population. Now, I might sound like a liberal leftist. They say, oh, you sound like a leftist. You're talking about the native population. And that's woke. And this is a they turned this into a woke anti-woke issue, Jeremy. Did you see that? Yeah. How they, yeah. they pulled yeah. that trick. 
<laughs> they say that's woke. It's a woke issue. How patently ridiculous. I, mm. People were, I, I was at conferences in the 90s with the top in London with the top uh, uh, apartheid figures, um, anti-apartheid figures post the, the changeover in the, in the early 90s in your government. And, and the Palestinian delegation was there at the same panel. That was it. So it was always synonymous and, and regarded as a, a liberation struggle, as mm. a, a progressive struggle, but not in the term that we call progressives today, but more of a kind of th th this, this sort of era needs to be wound down. We need to move on to the next phase. And the same, I think, with, with Palestine, to me, I don't see it any differently. Um, neither have my forefathers in previous decades and uh, men and women who have been fighting uh, on behalf of liberation struggles all around the world. I don't support all aspects of all of these struggles, of course. But uh, then again, I'm not directly involved, so I can't make it. Pa I can't pass judgment. Uh, but I can observe what's going on, and uh, it is, to me, historic and biblical at the same time. Yeah. Patrick Enningson, I'll be back with you momentarily. My name is Jerome. This is TNT. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help the population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes. But I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, Patrick, is Israel a vassal state of the U.S. or is the U.S. a vassal state of Israel? Um, uh, both. Um, they are a dysfunctional marriage. Uh, it's a couple that can't get divorced. Uh, <laughs> it, it, Israel is the sort of, I think, the sort of Stepford wife that has uh, grown out of control and actually dominates the uh, billionaire husband. And there's no way they can possibly get 
that can possibly get divorced um, without either of them paying a massive price. So they're stuck together in a dysfunctional marriage and it's destroying everything around them, including the the home and the neighborhood and everything. Uh, it's just a total disaster. Look at the region. Nothing positive has come of this in 80, in nearly 80 years. It's one disaster, w one war after another. Israel's attacking nearly all of its neighbors constantly. Uh, and people are saying that's great. And this is the only democracy in the Middle East, but it's not. It's far from the, a democracy, first of all. Uh, and so so I think, yeah, it, it, it's a vassal state for the U.S. It provides the U.S. and the Anglo-American interest in Europe with, with a, a, an aircraft carrier there on the Mediterranean, uh, a base of operations, a beachhead. Uh, and that provides the ability to keep the region unstable. Uh, and an unstable region is very easy to control and manipulate. And there's a lot of resources there. It's also very important as a gateway to Asia. And to prevent a Silk Road from joining China and Europe, you need to keep the Middle East unstable. And Israel suits the Western interests. And then the West suits Israel's interest because it's a great uh, source of funding and military backing and support to allow um, that community there, uh, the Zionist uh, community, the Zionist movement, to achieve what it sees as its goals, uh, its territorial goals, uh, whatever some people, their biblical goals, uh, the end times narrative, Christian Zionists as well. There's yeah. there's more of them it's than there are Jews. There's more Christian Zionists in the world than there are Jewish Zionists. And the Christian yeah. Zionists are the ones that fund, <laughs> they fund all all this uh, military support and uh, the aid and the, uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to use the word apartheid because it's actually much more heavy handed than the South African apartheid uh, system that uh, was in place before 1993. But it, it, it's it, that's that's funded by Christian Zionists in America, in Canada, in Europe, around the world. So uh, not all Jews are Zionists and not all Zionists are Jews. And I think that's an important distinction to make because some of the greatest allies in the Palestinian cause are Jewish people in America, in Canada, in Europe, in, in Israel, even in the Holy Land, in other Arab countries, um, the Jewish community that uh, don't support Zionism and the state of Israel, they're some of the biggest proponents for, Palest for Palestine there are. So uh, I don't like to use broad brushes at all. I think uh, there's a lot of nuance there that not talked about and should be. What do you make of the ICJ case between South Africa and Israel? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm just I, when it, when you see things like this happen, this is a historical moment. This is a historical moment because any country could have done this. Any country could have stepped up and filed that case, and only one did. Only one did, and it was South Africa. And I can't think of a more fitting country to do it for a number of reasons, not just because of their history. Uh, because I regard them at, right now, anyway, as the leading African country in terms of being a member of BRICS um, and weighing in on major issues and, uh, you know, having the potential to be a major leader of the continent um, politically, I you know, have, have some vision and some projecting certain values and things like that. I think South Africa has uh, taken the opportunity to make that impact. And I think I just see a lot of uh, pride from South Africans to see their delegation up there for the first time 
uh, uh, illustrating the Palestinian case in detail in a global forum and not being interrupted or shot down. I mean, that's never happened before. And we saw that. And they did, they over-delivered. Nobody expected it to be that thorough and that concise and that focused. It was unbelievable. And so their team was, it blew everybody away from all over the world. That was the most watched uh, web TV uh, broadcast on UN's live streaming. And uh, I'm sure their servers had trouble coping with that. I heard as much. Um, but that people tuning in from all around the world to watch that presentation on Thursday last week, South Africa had the eyes of the world on it and they delivered. And that is no small thing. And so historically, that's in the books. So they're the leader. They've taken the moral lead. And if you look at how power coalesces around the world, a uh, big source of American or European or British power is that they have certain values that people can get on board with, common values. And that's a source besides military and economic power. That's a source of soft power. And so South Africa has put out a very big marker for soft power, um, which is like its shop window there. That is a big thing. And so I think this was amazing. What I what I was surprised is how they were de, um, demeaned and derided by uh, Israel and its supporters, including Justin Trudeau and the Germans as well, um, saying that uh, their case has no merit. The Americans literally shooting them down before they even made the presentation. And Israel calling them the legal arm of Hamas, which is just ridiculous. But by taking that difficult position and taking the hits, and you can see how how over the top unhinged the your opposition is on this, mm -hmm. and it really I think just reinforced the case South Africa made that this is completely out of control. This situation needs to come to an end. So just being there, just just being that somebody had to do it, and they did it. Any other mm -hmm. country, Arab country, could have done it. Any European country, but they didn't. They were afraid of the political ramifications, but South Africa wasn't. That is not a small thing in history. Do you think, Patrick, that irrespective of the outcome, in, in fact, in many ways, the outcome seems irrelevant? Uh, and I'll, 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 I'll explain why if you want to know, but I have a suspicion you might agree with me. But irrespective of the outcome, do you think that Netanyahu is somewhat cornered? I mean, this was a, a very smart chess move by, by South Africa, because if, for example, the ICJ says, yes, there is genocidal intent. Well, okay, then we know we know how that's going to play out. But if if the ICJ says, no, there's no genocidal intent, then it's going to rally a lot of countries against Israel. Mm. And against the international, uh, uh, the international courts of justice as well as institution, showing mm -hmm. that uh, like all other judiciaries, it is subject to corruption and influence. There's a lot of intimidation going on. We've already seen media reports of this. Israel's targeting judges, targeting the countries where those judges come from. The U.S. is doing the same. They're trying to engineer an outcome or a verdict. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to. they're going to rule. They're going to recommend a ceasefire. Now, Israel's not going to comply. They're not going to comply because they're not going to recognize that decision. But you're right, Jeremy. They've already won. Just showing up and, and doing yeah. the business and they and and doing it in such uh, incredible fashion that South Africa did. They already won, and they won on behalf of the Palestinians. See, look at the situation in Donbass, Jeremy. 
The yeah. people of Donbass were getting sieged for eight years, and their their knight in shining armor finally, finally rode in at the last minute to save the people of the Donbass from a Tet offensive, and that was Russia. But nobody rode in for the Palestinians. No, they, there, there is no Russia. There will be no Russia for them. They're on their own. But one country who doesn't have military power to project came on the hill anyway. You could say South Africa rode over the hill on a donkey. Okay, not a white horse. True. But nonetheless, they came over the mountain for the Palestinians. And you know what that means for Palestinians? I spoke to them. I listened to them on spaces over that over the last week. They are just like... You know, they're, to, to think that, so, that a country, a whole country cares about them when their government's willing to back them fully to the hilt, the, it was emotional. They're crying, and, and they do have a history. Uh, Palestine and South Africa have some political history that goes back many years in terms of support uh, during the Mandela um, era in the ANC and things like that. But um, it, it was a real emotional thing to know that somebody cared enough to, 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 to vouch for you, to stand up for you. That means something. That's a good example to set because mm. an, other countries could do the same. Just say, F it. Could be Malaysia could be another country, Sri Lanka, whatever, Nepal. And and that means something, and it inspires people. And I think it brings out a better part of people and humanity. Um, so anyone who shot them down, I think it's, it's really not going to age well, quite frankly. Yeah, it's, that sort of ultra-cynism, it gets me. It gets to me. I, I, don't, I don't get it because all you have to do is look at a map, right? Just Just have a look at where Gaza is. You don't even have to know anything about it, right? It's this tiny strip. It's tightly compacted. I hear and read comments from people saying, oh, why don't the other Arab countries take them? Okay, what must they do? Must they swim in the ocean? Or must they try and figure, figure out a way into Egypt where Israel is already blockading? Israel controls the airspace and the sea space. What, what is exactly the right thing to do here? These people are completely and utterly surrounded. By military uh it it really isn't an easy situation and i don't understand how how saying uh that that you want a ceasefire is <laughs> is in any way a bad thing i mean these people are stuck yeah i mean your former uh head of intelligence in south africa i don't have his name to hand but he made Ronnie amazing castles Yes, Cast yes, Castros. He said, Look, he said, we didn't we didn't scramble the South African Air Force to bomb the townships. You know, imagine that. You 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 American F sixteens coming in, carpet bombing townships for like three months straight and saying to the to the to the residents, So you you guys can go to uh Botswana. We got a nice little thing set up for you there. You, why don't you just get on the road, get your stuff, and just head over there? Yeah, that that's our solution. There's plenty of space there and there's other Africans there and you'll feel at home there, you know, with other black people. Um, how ridiculous and insane and, and how how much that would be rejected by the by the international community if somebody mm. if that was the policy of the government at the time. I mean, it would be like sanctions everywhere uh, and forever. But with Israel, no sanctions. No sanctions, mm. but essentially that's what they're advocating. But it, they're giving a special status, and I think that's just because of the support they have politically in America and Britain uh, and, and in Europe and the EU. Not all the EU, but most of it. 
um, the, the power they have, along with the American power leaning on the Europeans to support Israel, by the way, it's, it's a triangle, um, then you have a different way people are evaluating this. And it's so funny that we're so, you know, we're, everything is so relative to the proximity of power. So how much, how much, exactly right. what, what principles do people actually have when push comes to shove? When we can see it, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, this is a, a Rorschach test. It's a Rorschach test. It's not a litmus test. It's a Rorschach test. You should be able to recognize the pattern immediately. And those who did pass that test. Those who are still struggling with this uh, morally, like, oh, I, I'm not sure both sides are wrong and uh, giving you all this. If, if they're still struggling with this at this point, um, it, I, there's a level yeah. of cognitive dissonance there that unfortunately, I can't, we can't help you. We really can't mm -hmm. help you. We hope you'll come around eventually. Yeah, I think what you're kind of alluding to is that people are driven by ideology first. Uh, they, 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 they don't know why they need to, quote, stand with Israel, but they just do it. And, and when you try and engage and go, well, why are you, why are you standing with a country that's killed almost 30,000 people? Uh, how do you justify this? Oh, yes, but on the 7th of October, did you see what Hamas did? Okay, yes, but are you seeing what Israel is currently doing? Um, and also, by the way, Patrick, have you noticed how nobody wants to actually go and understand why Hamas did what they did? I'm not saying it's okay, but people also thought that Putin woke up in a bad mood one morning and just, and just thought, oh, you know yeah. what, stuff it. I'm just, I'm just going to invade Ukraine. Like there's no historical context. Excellent. Absolutely. It's exactly. This, that's the same phenomenon. That's how you got the West to back in lockstep the proxy war against Russia and Ukraine. Wave the Ukrainian flags, support Zelensky, he's a god, and all this other stuff. Give us your money. Yeah, how much do you need? Um, it's because they narrowed the frame of reference to begin at February 24th, 2022. It all started, everything was fine and dandy before then. They did the exact same tactic in the information space uh, with October 7th. And they even made the date into a sort of iconic date like 9-11, 10-7, 10-7. You watch the, the American media. So forget about everything 75 years before that. Forget about that. Irrelevant. It was all peace. They were drinking tea together on the Mediterranean Sea, smoking shisha pipes together, those Israelis and those Gazans. And then all of a sudden, the, the Hamas... Hamas, mm. Hamas uh, came and uh, conducted the worst atrocities since the Holocaust. These, these, these were all rhetorical uh, monstrosities. Um, that's mm. not actually what happened. And so there's two there's two important aspects to this. Um, one of them is, you know, it's an old cliche, but it, it is actually accurate. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Great. That the fact that Hamas is a terrorist group is a political designation by the United States, Britain, Germany, a few other countries. Okay. The rest of the world does not designate, nor does the UN, Hamas as a terrorist organization. They, they're, they're regarded as a armed liberation struggle. Okay. Now, is there a religious element to it? Absolutely. There is a religious, a heavy religious element to it. But then again, that's a heavily uh, uh, religious uh, population, uh, especially uh, on the Islamic side. Okay. So I can't, and me as a journalist, people, for me to open up and saying the Hamas terrorist groups, um, as an indigenous armed liberation struggle that's been going for like 
80 years, I can't call it objectively call it a define it as a terrorist group because yeah. then I would be ignoring the history. Just like the ANC, there was that debate uh, before. Was the ANC a terrorist group? Are they armed liberation struggle? And the same for all these different countries, the Tamil Tigers uh, in Ethiopia and the, Tig the Tigres. And all, we can go right around the world, including the American Sons of Liberty under British uh, colonial rule, including the French resistance under in Vichy France, uh, opposing the Nazi occupation, and and and, and as well uh, the uh, Jewish uh, rebellions in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, opposing mm -hmm. Nazi oppression at that time, all throughout history. And we're, we're supposed to say, but no one, no, you can't use that objective measurement anymore. Hamas is a terrorist. They're evil. They need to be exterminated. And whatever amount of collateral damage it takes to do that, well, that's just tough. The Palestinians, we've given them a warning. We've dropped leaflets. They should just piss off to the Sinai Desert in Egypt and leave us alone to build this beautiful utopian uh, pure Jewish state uh, in the Middle East. That's the basic meta-narrative that you're dealing with uh, in the United States, it doesn't correspond to reality at all. And that's the problem. And you add the fear that a lot of Americans and Westerners have been indoctrinated and conditioned to fear uh, Muslims and Islamic terrorists post 9-11. All that baggage is still in there. The same baggage that's from the Cold War to hate and fear the Russians from the Soviet era, That's that's still been activated 20 years later to hate the Russians again. The, the, the baseline's already established in the West for fear and hate of certain uh, uh, groups of people, and then it's just updated for the latest situation. And that's what's happened here. So when you look at this, and if you spent any degree of time uh, sitting down and talking to Palestinians, to Arabs, spent any degree of time in the region, not even in Palestine, but in even in Lebanon or Egypt or uh, anywhere else in the Middle East, Iraq, for instance, or Turkey, um, you'll know that this is, this is not an issue um, that just popped up, and this is not a black and white issue. This is a colonial issue. Mm -hmm. Israel is a colonial settler state. And whenever you have a colonial history, think Things are messy. Things are messy. You have things that are tied into knots that, quite frankly, will take hundreds of years to untie. Uh, yeah. Whether it's in South Africa, whether it's in uh, Burkina Faso, uh, whether it's in Kenya, whether it's in India and Pakistan and Kashmir or whatever, post-colonial problems are difficult to untie because the colonial occupiers left it in such a state and drew borders in such a way and set people against each other in such a way that it created a whole generational problems that just continue in perpetuity into the future. Israel-Palestine in the Middle East yeah. is a perfect example. Patrick Enningson, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jerem, this is TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, 
United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, Patrick, we were just chatting now during the break uh, about um, views evolving and changing. And have you found over the years of looking for things that are true, like the truth, shall we say, you've swung almost a 180 on on many things, or have you found yourself to be consistent? I'm consistent on some things, but I've definitely swung big time on other mm. things. So it's it's a mixed bag there. Um, I, I'd like to say to people that I am open to, my my ideas are open to evolve on, on all fronts. Um, I, I because I come from a more left wing uh, background with a left wing education in California state schools and all that, I was indoctrinated a certain way, going through you know school, right through university, and you adopt issues and viewpoints that correspond with your peer group and uh, how you're being uh, educated in school. The other thing you're educated in America from a very young age is to be pro Israel. Um, is there, I can remember as early as sort of ten years old. 10, 11, 12, through those grades, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, junior high school, high school, <clears throat> very heavily um, uh, indoc- uh, indoctrinated on Israeli issues, uh, Holocaust education, singing kibbutz songs in choir, things that you don't really register as a kid, but later you, you hear the songs and you're like, that's not an American song, that was an Israeli kibbutz song. <laughs> uh, we were singing that in the school choir to our families and stuff at the uh, recitals. So, I mean, that that's the influence of the curriculum the uh, institutions and so forth so we are indoctrinated um, and that that's going to shape our views and it's not till you cut through that and my red pill moment um, was was the second intifada um, when I started engaging with uh, the the Palestinian community in a meaningful way and they started educating me and I started reading and I started listening to other people and I started picking up other things. So I have since evolved from my sort of more younger left wing uh, political version of myself uh, into the libertarian lane and then into the conservative lane. But I still have sensibilities. I'm a very dangerous conservative because I'm uh, if I if they call me conservative, I don't like to use that label. But if someone did, I'm not afraid of Arabs or Muslims. So that makes me a dangerous conservative. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I'm not pro-war. So it makes me kind of a freak, uh, really, in sort of American mainstream conservatism. But I'm not alone. I, I have kindred spirits. Uh, uh, some of them I greatly respect, and they've come out and shown they, – they've shown their mettle uh, among – uh, um, among crisis like this, um, they've really stepped up and, and people have distinguished themselves. Um, I'm very proud to be interacting with some of those people um, and they're thought leaders. They are the real thought leaders because it's easy to it's easy to have an opinion 
uh, when it's not a big challenge. Like uh, when you're baptized by fire, whether it's the vaccine mandates, uh, whether it's the Ukraine situation where everyone's hating Russia and you had to fall into the line and get behind Ukraine. And the same with Gaza. Uh, on October seventh, yeah. that, that's when you're really tested. But I mean, your your views are probably challenged constantly, and you you, you know mm. you're a cartoonist, you're an artist, you're a political commentator. What's it like going back and looking at your old work? Yeah, <laughs> to, to to where no, you're changing your ideas. I mean, what's that like? Yeah, exactly. I was just telling you during the break that you know I've got published books of my work, and uh, I don't hold a lot of those views anymore, and they are. They are archived and they are what they are. Uh, but I think I think as you get older, or perhaps no, maybe it's not an age thing, perhaps it's a desire to, as you say, cut through the bullshit. What it is for me is is trying to figure out actually how the world works. And when you start putting together various puzzle pieces, you start questioning things that don't make sense that you previously just thought were true. Like, for example, you know, China is this global enemy. Okay, but why? I don't see it. You know, I everything in my home just about comes from China in terms of technology. Very little in my home comes from the United States, other than perhaps Apple products. Um, and I suppose a lot of Apple stuff gets made in China. Um, I, other than perhaps drones and military presence, there's not much I can tell you about. And I, and I don't hate the U.S. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just talking about the 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 uh, the state, okay, the American government and its military machine. Uh, but I don't, I don't see too much upliftment coming from from that side. But I do see it coming from the Chinese side. I also, for example, have challenged myself on Iran also being the enemy. Like, how is Iran the enemy? They don't even have nukes. Um, but the propaganda machine will have you believe that these guys are the enemy. And and then when you look at something like Hamas, and you go and actually go and look at its history, and then you suddenly see that, well, the Israeli government wanted. The existence of a must to thwart people like Yasser Arafat and the PLO because it doesn't want a two-state solution. Suddenly, you start questioning what you think you know. Mm, yeah, they they wanted a radical opposition. That was their controlled opposition, which they helped to support because they thought it would advance their cause in Israel or the Likud, the Netanyahu uh, Likudites. They thought that Hamas would be good for them to show this this radical Islamic uh, opponent here, and then that would galvanize support for what they wanted to do. This is not unusual in history. This has happened um, all the time. So I think it's interesting, you know, uh, we are we are products of our political environment at the end of the day. Um, and if you're a journalist or a cartoonist or a pundit, and you go out into the world with your worldview, you're very much shaped and indoctrinated by where you come from and the kind of environment that you were you grew up in um, that's going to shape your views if you're lucky enough to have been able to travel or if you're a journalist you've been lucky enough to be able to spend time on the ground uh, in Europe or South America or Asia or in the Middle East or Russia or Eastern Europe you can have a very different view and I, I see that with people from China Jeremy that spend time in China they're not uh, alarmist about Chinese development in fact the opposite 
opposite. They're big fans of China. I can't think of any time China's attacked the United States or done anything negative to the United States, but every U.S. politician, and, and it's being parroted by the conservative rank and file, that China's our enemy. And Nikki Haley's at it. Mike Pompeo's at it. Marco Rubio's at it. They're all at it. Ron DeSantis. Lincoln. We need mm. to confront China. They're our enemy. What has China ever done to the United States? Well, they're going to overtake us. They wish us harm. We shouldn't trust the CCP and all this other stuff. Fine. Show me some receipts. And then Taiwan or whatever. Oh, don't even get me started with the Taiwan situation. Another <laughs> yeah. another Donbass in the making. But, uh, you know, what have they done to America? Nothing. What's America doing to, Taiwan, uh, to China? They're surrounding them with nuclear weapons assets right around the Pacific Rim from Okinawa to South Korea, right around into uh, Guam and the, the Solomon Islands and the AUKUS agreement with uh, uh, Australia in the Northern Territories uh, and Darwin and these nuclear bases there. I mean, so from a Chinese perspective, what's America doing? Quite a lot to threaten them. So the whole thing, I think, is a construct uh, at the end of the day. Uh, and China doesn't have an expeditionary colonial uh, uh, appetite. Um, they say, oh, they're in Africa. Well, what are they doing in Africa? They're doing business. So what are the Chinese yeah. doing all over the world? They're doing business. If you don't like the business, make a better business. Compete with the Chinese. That's what that that's what I thought our Western values were about: free market, competition. We have the best ideas. Let's go out and get them, get them a yeah. good price, give them a good deal, make the relationships, make the friends. What happened to that? No, no, no. Gunboat diplomacy. Yeah, exactly. Gunboat diplomacy. Yeah. In fact, right in front of me, right, I've got a camera that's made in China. I think I've got LED lights here that are made in China. The microphone, I think, is made in China. I mean, <laughs> this is all business, right? I don't see any politics mm. here. I don't see I don't see any Chinese companies uh, putting out transgender, you know, promotional material, but I see this coming from the US. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, 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 this is interesting. And you, you get all some, of the, and I, I'm not going to blame the right, Okay, but I'm just as an example, uh, anti-Chinese, anti-Muslim, and, um, and then the immigration issue is a very big emotive issue. Okay, now in the U.S. especially, the southern border is porous. To to me, this is a Democrat policy to get more Democratic voters in to turn Texas into a blue state, so there'll never be a Republican president ever again with the Electoral College. That's mathematically what would happen if Texas became Democrat, okay? So that's, I, I look at it from that point of view, and there's people saying, well, there's a social engineering point of view, it's a white genocide. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're using the term genocide, these are the same people that will support the Palestinians uh, on the right. There's many of them on, on Twitter, so they're calling what's happening in America a white genocide. Well, I'm in America, yeah. and I'm, I, I don't feel I'm under threat of genocide. A genocide is when somebody else is trying to eliminate you. So how is it that the, who's in charge? White America is mm. still in charge in America. Are they genociding their own people? Then you get into a convoluted conspiracy theory. And what it does, it demeans the term genocide. And the real genocide's happening in Gaza. And I wouldn't want to steal that away from the Palestinian people or anybody else in the world. So, but this is typical. This goes right in line with the Chinese fear mongering, with the uh, the 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 Muslim fear mongering, the Sharia law. Sharia law is going to take over our towns and whatever. Totally ridiculous. Sharia law is no different than kosher law. They have their own courts. Mm -hmm. Like there's a kosher court, a Beth Din. There's a Sharia court. It's for their community. It does not supersede 
uh, United States constitutional or state law. It just doesn't. Um, but it's used to rally fear and get people to support the wars at the end of the day. The military-industrial yeah. complex loves all this. They love it. They, 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 they let this stuff fester in the partisan media uh, amongst the denizens. They let it fester because they know that it's going to help their cause at the end of the day, which is expand their market, which is predicated on fear. That is the currency that drives that industry, yeah. fear. Mm. COVID, COVID was fear too. Absolutely. No, COVID was on a, another level. Yeah. And now they're pushing disease X. I'm sure we're going to probably <laughs> do a segment on that, you and I at some point. Yes. Totally ridiculous. The same people that were pushing COVID for the government are pushing this disease X. Okay, fine. And the, I loved how all these people, a lot of these people, they were pushing the vaccine harder than anybody. Then as soon as the, the body started piling up and the injuries start and people started dropping dead on football pitches, all of a sudden they pivoted to the controlled opposition uh, position and and became like questioning the vaccine and looking at excess deaths all these things that we were talking about like literally in the in the first days of that farrago in march yeah. of 2020 uh these people now they these are the same people that are pushing lab leak and disease x total absolute 100 percent yep. boulder dash total i just want to say as we're coming in for a landing because the time is now running out patrick but all all i'm interested in with disease x is will it have a cleavage site? That's all I'm. That's all I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's. We need to find the cleavage site. We need to send our people out <laughs> looking for it. So yeah, send uh, get, get a, send people out with video cameras onto the beaches of L.A., Cape Town, and elsewhere looking for those uh, those optimum cleavage sites, those furin <laughs> furin cleavage sites. Oh my God, the world of virology is so ridiculous, but. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing what people what people actually become conditioned to believe they are they are experts yeah. on when in fact they're not. But um, it's funny. All right, uh, we have pretty much run out of time, so let's quickly promo your show. My show uh, is live on this network uh, in about an hour's time, I think. Yeah, the Patrick Henningsen Show, Monday to Friday uh, at 4 p.m. till 6 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk, news, analysis. Yeah, we got... We've got a powerful program today. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So, yeah, tune in. And you can find me at 21stCenturyWire.com. That is our, our military frigate. That's our battleship. It remains on the high seas. Currently has its uh, guns positioned in a certain direction, but may pivot to another site at some point in the near future. But, yeah, independent media, alive and well, support us. Patrick Henningsen, as always, thank you for joining me in the trenches. But before we go, just quickly, I see you uh, commented on a post that I make uh, I made about uh, pranking South Africa's uh, <laughs> top laboratories. Did you listen to it? Yeah, yeah, that, I didn't listen to all of it. I heard a little bit of the beginning, but I like I like this. <laughs> I like I think you're you're on the right track right now. I think this is yeah. You did you did you you did very well. I, I couldn't pull that <laughs> off in South Africa, but you you you, you definitely can. Um, <laughs> I could probably pull it off in the U.S., but if I can get through to them, but that's that's a good move. I, there's nothing like mm. that is the best way to expose things, is through yeah. the Vovin and Lexis method. Uh, it, it works every time. Absolutely brilliant. I, I'd love to be involved in round two. Maybe I could be your American uh, disease ex ex expert on disease <laughs> X. Have you spoken to uh, <clears throat> Doctor? Uh, you know, Doctor whatever. 
Dr. Kyle Stark. Have you spoken to him? He's got lots of peer-reviewed papers. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Time is now pretty much out. So thank you. I'll 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 get you on again soon. I'm sure we'll have lots more to talk about. But in the meantime, thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, please do send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live, germwarfare at tntradio.live. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, chatting to, to Patrick. It's always a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, on behalf of Joel, Alex, and myself, this is uh, Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. <laughs> <laughs>